Father God, I just pray that our hearts are just filled, Lord. Filled with joy and rejoicing over you and your son. For being able to come together this morning, Lord, as a church family. To enjoy each other's fellowship. To sing praises to your name because you are a super great. God, I thank you, Lord, for the time that we've been blessed to even consider your word. Lord, even to worship you with the announcements, because the announcements remind us of the ministry that goes on here as a part of this local body. And Lord, may we seek to be a a light and a, a blessing to others and also our community. And Father, I pray that as we now consider your word from our passage this morning, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Lord, that you will bless this teaching and preaching of your word, that you will, that it will be uh, certainly spirit-empowered, that you will provide spirit-empowered listening, learning, understanding, and applying that, Lord, we will grow in Christ-likeness and that we will give glory to you. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> we'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And as you, you do, I want to present to you our, our title of the message this morning. is just simply church leadership. And like, like most of the messages I think any preacher gives... You realize, oh, we could we could have a whole series just on church leadership, and and maybe we should, but um, we're we're going to have our one message this morning on it, and uh, uh, so there's I know there's just so much more that could be said than what we will say, but I p- pray that this morning will be a, a blessing to you to better understand church leadership, how it works, what kind of church leadership we have here at Calvary Bible Church. And, uh, and let me just share with you, there's, there's basically four, four basic kinds of, of church leadership, or we should say church government, um, in, in the, uh, I was going to say evangelical world, but this crosses uh, the evangelical world as well. Four basic kinds. The first is called Episcopal. You're going to be familiar with some of these terms. Episcopal is Latin for bishop. The Greek word is episkopos, and it is a type of uh, church leadership where the government or governing of the church, the power is in the hands of the bishops, right? Uh, they have a threefold tier of leadership where you have the bishops, and then you have the priests, and then you have deacons. And only the bishop can consecrate other bishops and ordain priests and deacons. And this would include churches like the Orthodox Church, the Anglican Church, the, the Roman Catholic Church, and the Methodist Church. Secondly, we have a form of government called Presbyterian. Presbyterian. Presbyteros there is the Greek word, which means elder. And, and this type of church government is where the local church is governed by the session, which is composed of ruling elders elected either by the membership or the elders themselves. Usually the teaching elder is the presiding officer of the session. And then in the kind of hierarchy of, of the church, um, you have the presbytery, 
uh, as a, a district, and then you go to a larger district, which is then called a, a synod, right? We're talking about now geographically speaking, and then that would be followed by kind of the national group, which would be the general assembly. A third form of church government is called congregational government. It's where the governing power rests ultimately with the people of the congregation, um, it, it has the autonomy of the local church, so there's no kind of further outside hierarchy or, or structure to it. Each church can govern itself. Now, congregational authority is democratic with each member and pastor having one vote. However, it typically plays out that pastors will have uh, a significant influence in the church. But normally, majority rules versus, say, percentages when they would take votes on things. And then our fourth category is an independent autonomous church. Guess which category Calvary Bible falls into? That one, independent and autonomous, right? Independent from any other hierarchical structures and and forms and autonomous in that the local church has the ability to govern itself. Now, we would say that we have one kind of overarching uh, governing body, if you will, right here, right? It's, it's this. It's the Word of God. Why don't you go ahead and please stand for the reading of the Word of God. This will be from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be looking just at a couple of verses this morning, verses 12 and part of 13. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church at Thessalonica, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. Now, as we jump into our text this morning, I want you to see here in our text... Two requests that Paul makes of the Thessalonian congregation in regard to their leaders. Then these two requests also have alongside of them for, you might say, caveats for the requests, which you'll see are actually responsibilities of the leadership to the congregation. And you need to know both so that you can know how church government is to properly function so that so that both you as a as an individual as well as a congregation will be blessed by your church leadership and your leadership will be encouraged. And along with that, I, I want you to leave here with just a hopefully a, a good and, and maybe basic biblical understanding of church leadership. As I said before, there's many more things that we would be able to say that we won't be able to get to all of them this morning. And the first request is this. Paul's first request of the people is that they would appreciate their leaders. Appreciate your leaders. Back in verse 12 he says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Now sometimes for, for a, a preacher, this is kind of one of those passages where it's kind of like giving, you know. You go, you're going to preach it. It's the word of God. But it sounds kind of strange, you know, because other people are thinking, well, he's just preaching on giving because he wants more money, you know. Well, he's just preaching on this because he wants appreciation. That's just what the word of God says. So we're going to stick with that, okay. The but here 
when he has the but, the but is not so much coming off of what was just previously said about our, our eschatological passages, the day of the Lord and the rapture passages that we just had, but rather it's about, um, it's a transition. It's a transition for Paul, which then basically turns into a, a, a wrap-up for this whole letter. And in this case, Paul is laying out some final exhortations pertaining to life in the body of the church. And we shouldn't, you shouldn't read too much into Paul making a request versus a clear-cut command. Um, we saw him do this back in chapter 4, verse 1, when he says, Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you regarding that you should excel still more. This is Paul's heart to his people. The Thessalonians were a dear group of people that were his brothers and sisters in the Lord, and he loved them deeply. And, and I think when he makes this request, it's, it's with the understanding that they, they will obey. They will obey. So yes, whether you call it a request or command, um, you can, you can uh, pick there, but it's, it has the same, the same force there. The first request is that they would appreciate certain people. The word literally means to know, to know. But it's also used in the context of honoring and respecting. So Thessalonians, you should honor and respect certain people. And who is it that should be appreciated? He says, those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Now, in other words, he's talking about the church's leaders. And who are the church's Leaders. Well, the context indicates that Paul is referring to the overall spiritual leadership of the church. So to this end, there are there are four terms that we see in Scripture used to describe this particular office of church leadership. Now, the first we've already actually heard, but you're going to hear it again. The first is elder. And again, elder is the Greek word presbyteros which literally refers to someone older in age, but in the context of a, a church leader, it means that, that they are of a certain maturity, that there, there's a certain wisdom that comes from them. In Acts 14, in verse 23, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey, and they've just been to, to Derbe and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, when in verse 23 it says, when they had appointed elders, presbyteros, for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they're going around setting up these churches, planting churches, and then incorporating or appointing elders. The next term we see in scripture for this very same office is overseer, episkopos, which is translated in the King James, and we heard this earlier, as bishop. It has the meaning of to look after, to look after, meaning to exercise authority and oversight in the church. For instance, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.1, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. We could just have, you know, probably a whole message on, on this this text alone, but in, in this context too, we understand that the the, uh, the church leader, the elder here, is somebody who aspires to the office. And it's a fine work. Just remember that, okay, that he desires to do. The third term, the third term that we see in Scripture is the term pastor. The Greek is poimen. It means shepherd. It is somebody who feeds and cares for and protects the flock, meaning a local congregation. Excuse me for one moment. 
We see this term in Matthew 9 and verse 6. Seeing the people, he, that's referring to Jesus, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then what did the great shepherd say to Peter uh, in John 21, 15 to 17? But tend my lambs and shepherd my sheep. In Ephesians 4 and verse 11, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, And he, meaning Jesus, gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, along with elder, overseer, and pastor, there is one more term that we see in the Scripture. And it's simply leader. And it's uh, hagiomai, is the Greek word. And, and, and guess what that word means in the Greek? Leader. Simple. Leader. So it just means to lead or to go before, uh, lead the way. In Hebrews 13 and verse 7, we see this term. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So we understand that he's talking about the same uh, church leadership office. Down in verse 17 of Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And then down in verse 24, greet all of your leaders and all the saints. And you might be thinking, well, well, okay, but, but how do you know, Pastor Jay? I mean, how do you know that, that, that all four of these terms are referring to the same office? You know, maybe the Bible is speaking about some, some different roles in the church and that would be a very good question so with that please turn to titus chapter one so you're going to keep your bookmark in thessalonians and and just go over a few books through uh, second thess and first and second timothy and then we get to titus chapter one beginning in verse five here paul is exhorting titus to put church leaders in place that just sounds terrible how much that here he's uh he's exhorting titus to put church leaders in place and in so doing he uses the terms elder and overseer interchangeably titus 1 verses 5 to 7 the apostle writes for this reason i left you in crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders presbyteros In every city as I directed you, namely if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer, episkopos, but the context hasn't changed, right? Must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, etc., etc. So we see both those terms used interchangeably of the same person, the same office. Now, turn to Acts 20. Acts 20. We're going to see all three of these terms used interchangeably. Um, Elder and bishop or overseer and pastor. This is in Acts 20 verses 17 to 18. Here Paul is on his way uh, to Jerusalem and he stops in Ephesus before getting extradited to Rome, where he says his final goodbyes to a very beloved group 
of leaders knowing that he will never see them again. And in Acts 20 and verse 17, Luke writes, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus, meaning Paul, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders, presbyteros, of the church. And then Paul uh, then begins to speak to them. Go ahead and skip down to verse 28. Verse 28, where Paul tells the elders then, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, to do what? To shepherd, poimen, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Again, we see here all three being used of the same position, the same church office. Finally, turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, towards the back there. Verses 1 to 3, where again we will see all three of these same terms used interchangeably. Here Peter's closing out his first letter to the churches that have been scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. When he says this, 1 Peter 5 and verse 1, Therefore I exhort the elders, presbyteros, among you as your fellow elder, again presbyteros, and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, that's poimen, the flock of God among you, exercising what? Oversight, episkopos, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over these allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Now, the Hebrews passages that I I gave you that use the word leader or led, they don't use any of these other three words. But the context of those passages is clear in that those verses are referring to one particular office or the same particular office. Remember, they speak of those that lead as those who spoke the word of God to you. And that's certainly one of the qualifications for for this office of leadership, uh, whose faith is to be imitated in those as those who keep watch over your souls again. So as leaders, yes, that is that same office of elder and overseer and pastor. Now, you might be thinking, you might be thinking, okay, so. If elders and pastors are the same office, how come we differentiate between the two here at Calvary Bible Church? How how come we have some elders and some pastor elders and some pastors? How, how, How is it that a pastor is not necessarily an elder in the context of our church government? So I was an example of this. When I first came, when I first came, I was brought on as a pastor, not an elder. You see, elders are typically men who have oversight over the ministry of the whole church. Whereas my position, I was originally hired as the pastor over adult ministry. Now, we've also had fellows hired on to be a a youth pastor or a college pastor, where again, initially, their role was much narrower than in the broader context of the whole church. You also have to remember that we're in a day and age where we have seminaries and Bible colleges and things. And and sometimes we will hire people from the outside, from outside the local church versus, say, somebody who's raised up uh, to leadership from within the church. Now, when I was first here, 
14 years ago, that was the case. I was somebody that was raised up from inside the church. But I've been away, and then now coming back, and, and you know, sometimes we've had to hire fellows outside the congregation to come in and be pastors. With the reasoning that, how can you expect that fella to, to know all there is to know about the ministry of the whole church if he hasn't been a part of the whole church yet? How can you ask someone to shepherd the whole flock when, when maybe they come into the church as a pastor that we've hired barely knowing the flock that they've been hired to, to take care of yet? Because these things take time. They take time. So then the questions can become, is, is there wisdom in a man getting to know the ministry and the people and the people getting to know the man as a pastor before making him an elder? Should there be some kind of testing time or, or proving before he's brought on as an elder? And, and you can see again how it might be different if somebody was brought from within where they already know the body and the body already knows them versus somebody brought in kind of from the outside and just needing time to get to know them. I just tell you this, share this with you, because these are questions the leadership has wrestled with over the years. Now, you might also be wondering, okay, where's Deacon in all of this? Um, Dale, come on up and tell him. Oh, no, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Dale's like, huh? What? Dale, actually, Dale Gray, (laughs) he's coming up. No. (laughs) Actually, Dale would be a fine one to have here behind this desk. Uh, Dale gave a great, a a great, um, uh, not just update, but just kind of laying out the duties of a deacon and what a deacon does when we had our Calvary, Calvary quarterly. Say that five times fast. Calvary quarterly, Calvary yeah, quarterly, whatever. But in any case, we have deacon in the Bible, diakonos. It means servant, servant. And we also have women, women who serve or sometimes called deaconesses. Unfortunately, that will have to be for another message. But suffice it to say, the primary difference between an elder and a deacon is that while the elders provide for the overall care of the local church, both spiritually and also in a managerial sense, the deacons are designated for service unto the local church. Women who serve or deaconesses are women leaders who assist the elders and the deacons, including the leading of other women and in some cases, children. And Here's another unfortunate, and I thought, well, gosh, maybe we should just do a little mini-series. But we're going we're gonna to get into our specific text. But we, we also won't have time to go through all of the qualifications of elders. But if you're interested, you certainly can read up on those in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, and Titus 1, verses 5 to 9. We're actually going to talk about that in our Crossroads class, just to kind of expand on a on uh, uh, this aspect of of elder and and what the qualifications would be. Now, this all being said, let's get back to our text. Let's get back to our text and find out why these leaders should be appreciated. And by the way, from here on out, I'm going to refer to this this office now of of, uh, elder, overseer, pastor, leader as one. 
elder. Okay, I'm just going to use the term that we're most familiar with, so, so I'll, I'll continue by using just that one term so I don't have to keep using all four. Uh, something we glean from our text is that if elders are to be appreciated, it's also contingent on them fulfilling certain responsibilities. So these caveats that I mentioned are actually, again, responsibilities back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And the first caveat or responsibility is diligent labor diligent labor look at chapter 12 um, b there let's see yep 12 b appreciate those who diligently labor among you now that that phrase diligently labor those two words is actually one word in the greek and it means to work hard as in to become fatigued or, or worn out to weary oneself with labor. Peter used this word when he said to Jesus after a long night of fishing, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. You don't know how hard it is for a fisherman to admit that. We caught nothing. In reference to admonishing and teaching men in order to present every man complete in Christ, Paul says in Colossians 1.29, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. There's a great man of God and a pastor, you'll know his name, John Wesley. John Wesley was greatly devoted to pastoral work. The man averaged three sermons a day for 54 years, preaching all told more than 44,000 times. In doing this, he traveled by horseback and carriage more than 200,000 miles or about 5,000 miles a year. His daily routine was to arise at 4 a.m. and work solidly through 10 p.m., allowing brief periods for meals. In the midst of all this work, he declared, I have more hours of private retirement than any man in England. I really shouldn't be reading this to you because I don't want to. This is not the new standard here. Okay, just just know that. At age 83, he was irritated to discover that he could not write more than 15 hours a day without hurting his eyes. And at the age of 86, he was ashamed to admit that he could not preach more than twice a day. In his 86th year, he preached in almost every shire in England and Wales and often rode 30 to 50 miles a day. That's diligent labor. Getting back to the elders, diligently laboring first timothy five seventeen tells us the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching this makes sense now one of the qualifications for elders in both first timothy and titus is that they would be able to teach and and be able both to exhort and sound doctrine and refute those who contradict In other words, these men need to know the Bible. They need to know the scriptures enough so that they can they can teach sound doctrine to their people as well as refute any that may come in and contradict. And you might picture there somebody who who shows up to the local church with very strange doctrines and beliefs. Now, another area of ministry that elders should be diligently laboring in, along with the preaching and teaching of the word is prayer. 
In Acts 6, the disciples realized that they needed some some deacon-type help. So along with the ministry of the Word, they could stay devoted to prayer, praying for the people, praying for the local congregations, the ministry of those churches, and the specific needs of the people there. As James tells his readers in chapter 5, verse 14, he asks the question, Is any among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The Apostle Paul spoke of some of the labors he experienced in ministry, telling the Corinthians, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. And in 1 Timothy 5, 18, Paul tells us that the laborer is worthy of his wages. Referring back to those elders who rule well, with part of that ruling well to be brought on by diligent laboring, working hard. I remember when I, I got the, the um, call to go up to Weaverville in Trinity County there, to just an incredibly beautiful part of of our state and even the country and the mountains and there's rivers and there's lakes and there's fishing galore and rafting and, you know, you name it. Hiking, just just all all kinds of good things. And I remember speaking with my pastor here at the time, one of my pastors, who very simply exhorted me, you are going to love living there. And you are going to want to do all these things. But I want to exhort you, admonish you, that you make sure you do what you're there to be doing first and foremost. You do not neglect the Word of God. You do not neglect the people in the church. You do not neglect your ministry so that you can just be off, you know, gallivanting around the mountainsides kind of thing. It, it, was, it was a point well taken. It was a point well taken. His admonishment was, you go and work hard. And you work hard for the Lord. Now, that being said, I will say this. One of the highlights was right there at the beginning, I was doing some discipleship with the fella. Turns out he's a packer. He's got horses, right? He goes, no, we'll take our books on the trail. So we loaded up and we're on the horses. I took pictures of this and sent them to, I think, my fellow pastor friends here at Calvary even. This is the way that we do Bible studies in Trinity County. And there's literally, I'm on the horse with my, with my uh, book. I think it was a humility book. And we're doing Bible study on horseback. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I don't know, maybe we can take our Bible study. We'll go down to the L.A. River. It's just behind us here, right? We'll have a, have a picnic. Do a little rafting trip down the L.A. River, right? Going back to verse 12, we see the second responsibility of an elder and the second reason for them to be appreciated, having charge. Our text says, and have charge over you in the Lord. Now, having charge literally means to stand over, as in presiding over something. It demonstrates authority. It's the same word used of elders who rule well. And in Romans 12, 8, for one who leads with diligence. And of course, having charge 
in the Lord means according to the Lord, according to his ways. In other words, an elder's authority, friends, does, does not come from himself. It doesn't come from some, some group of, of people or even the congregation. Rather, it comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord to do the Lord's will, to lead the Lord's people in the context of the local church. Peter again says in 1 Peter 5, 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight according to the will of God. Hebrews 13 and verse 7 sums up well the authority of the elders, uh, the authority that they have over the local church in the Lord, when again he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as, check this out, those who will give an account. Who do you think that account is to? God. The elders will give an account to God for how they kept watch, how we kept watch over your souls. That is a weighty endeavor that should not be taken lightly. Let them do this, meaning watch over your souls, with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. This then is where the appreciation, say, would would come in. Likewise, to not be submitting to those who have charge over you will certainly not show appreciation. It will not give the elders joy, but rather grief. And in the end, it will not be profitable for you. Now, there are there are several examples in Scripture of those who have opposed their leaders and caused them grief. Ananias and Sapphira, a couple who received death for their sins and opposition. There was the immoral man of 1 Corinthians 5 who was handed over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Um, going through the Matthew 18 process of church discipline often comes with grief, sometimes more grief than joy. Can I tell you that one of the greatest points of grief for any elder is when gossip is taking place in and amongst the church. Another is when people choose not to heed biblical counsel. And without, you know, dredging up the past, there were numerous occasions over this last year when watching over the souls of some was very difficult. And at times there was grief. And at times there was not a lot of joy. And one of the things that the elders' friends are not to do that they are not to do while exercising their authority is to lord that authority over the flock that's in their charge. Going back to 1 Peter in chapter 3, verse 3, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Think of the Pharisees here, right? Remember the Pharisees and what they did? They lorded their authority. They lorded their power over the people. And they did so by shutting off the kingdom of heaven from the people, robbing them by devouring widows' houses, acting pretentiously, acting as blind guides, acting as hypocrites who make measly ties, but who neglect the things like like justice and mercy and faithfulness and the shepherding of the people. 
The Pharisees were those full of robbery and self-indulgence. They, they looked good on the outside, but they were on the inside filled with dead men's bones, uncleanness and hypocrisy and lawlessness. They were liars and basically proud of it. This is what elders are not to do. Not to do. Not to in any way, shape, or form lord their authority over their charge, God's people. Now, the third responsibility of an elder and reason for them to be appreciated is that they give you instruction, who give instruction, literally admonition. This giving of instruction, it's, it's this cool Greek word, nutheteo, nutheteo, um, which, which means new, meaning mind, and theteo, meaning to place. So it means to place in the mind, which amounts to warning, exhorting, admonishing. Some of you might have heard this term, newthetic counseling in the evangelical world, which simply means to counsel someone by using the word of God, scripture, placing scripture into their minds and into their hearts, using it to warn, admonish, or exhort them. And of course, Instruction for people in the word of God is key for an elder. Yet in order to do this, there must be some serious diligent labor, some working hard on the elder's part to know and understand the word of God. There must be much time spent in in devoting oneself to the word and, and reading the word and knowing how to properly interpret the word and how to apply the word. And then... Teaching all of that to you, the flock, the congregation. Teaching those things to the people. Turn, if you will, to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. A little bit to the right there, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 to 5. This is Paul's second letter to his protege, Timothy. And like with the Ephesian elders, Paul knew that his time on earth was coming to a close. And, and it seems when you read this letter too that, that Paul also sensed something going on in Timothy spiritually that maybe needed some exhortation, some encouraging. And in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, he writes, I solemnly charge you, meaning Timothy, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, what's he tell him? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Meaning be ready at all times. There's not a time when you shouldn't be ready to preach the word. Good times and bad times. Then he says, reprove. Which means convict with scriptural truth. He says, rebuke. Meaning call out sin. And exhort. Teach what's right. With great patience. And instruction. For the time will come and they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. This is why elders too need to be able to refute those who contradict. And will turn away their ears from the truth. And will turn aside to myths. But you... Be sober, meaning clear-headed in all things. Endure hardship, meaning not if, but when. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You can back up there. 
to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, just right right in front of that passage. Paul writing to Timothy again, as an elder, when he reminds him, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. We get that, right? Profitable for reproof. There's that conviction of of uh, sin for correction to change and, and be able to do what's right for training in righteousness, meaning what is right according to God's standard, including godly behavior, so that so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You know, back in uh, Acts chapter six, we see the disciples primary role again is being devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. And then returning to Paul's last meeting with the Ephesian elders, he reminds them back in that Acts 20 passage, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and how night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And again, going back to Hebrews 13, 7, and the author's admonition to remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. Elders are to instruct you, and you are to appreciate that instruction. Now, this brings us to Paul's second request of the Thessalonian congregation. His second request. Esteem your leaders for their work. We see this in verse 14. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Esteem meaning to have regard for. Very highly to an extraordinary degree. Considerable excess over what would be expected. And you're to do so in love. Agape, agape love, right? Not because you you happen to just, you know, like them as a person or because those those elders are friends of yours, but because of the work they do. Aragon, work, performance, labor in ministry. In Galatians 14, excuse me, Galatians 4. There's no Galatians 14. You guys are slow, slow this morning. Somebody's usually good to remind me. Galatians 4, verses 14 to 15. Paul commends the Galatians for how they esteemed him, saying, And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition. He says that because he was was ill when he first preached the gospel to them. That which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. And then in verse 15, for I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. He understood that they esteemed him very highly in love. Now, as we wrap this up, friends, how do we practically understand the elders here at Calvary Bible Church to be diligently laboring, having charge over you? And giving you instruction. And and generally working for both you and the Lord. Let me just share some of the things that we do. 
we meet every Tuesday morning at 6.30 a.m. to read and discuss Scripture together. I think we just finished Galatians. And we take this time primarily to read the Scripture and to pray. To pray for you, the church body, the church congregation. We also meet once a month for a our formal elder meeting, which typically goes from, say, 6 to 10 or 6 to 11 p.m. And here we discuss anything and everything pertaining to the ministry of Calvary Bible Church. Just to give you an example, last Thursday we prayed. We discussed the financials. We had committee updates as every elder has certain areas of ministry that they are responsible to oversee, such as men's and women's ministries and the stronghold ministry or summit or youth or missions, fellowship groups, etc. We discussed upcoming ministry and planning for for different ministry events, such as uh, Easter week, Passion Week, uh, Resurrection Sunday. We talk about things coming up for the summertime and things in the fall. Uh, What I should preach next, should the Lord tarry, uh, it'll be Second Thessalonians, by the way, if, if the Lord tarries. We'll, we'll just we'll press on into Second Thess. Uh, on one occasion, I asked the, the other elders for input uh, regarding me and, and being up front here and, and my preaching. And if there were things that, that I needed to, to improve upon, uh, please, you know, exhort me. Give me some feedback. Uh, the other night, we talked about different aspects of church membership. And then it was on to policies and procedures. And we had a conversation about community outreach and There's always discussion on shepherding the flock, soul care. How does the flock need to be fed, cared for, and protected? How are we doing at this? Are there people we need to catch up with or situations or people that have fallen through the cracks? And and what do we need to be doing better in our soul care and our shepherding? And, And this is just a sampling. It's just a sampling even from our our last meeting. Oh, and speaking of meetings... There's meetings, and meetings, and more meetings, lots of meetings. If 2021 was the year of the ox in the Chinese calendar, it was the year of the meeting on the elder calendar. We're not complaining, simply stating a fact, stating a fact. And of course, all of us are involved with the teaching of the word, and the preaching of the word. And if you've ever taught anything, then then you know what goes into that. It requires study, diligent study. Believe me, none of us want to get it wrong. None of us want to put in 50% effort and just give you 50% of, you know, our study time. No, we, we want to get it right, friends. We are compelled to get it right. Compelled. Not to be able to say to the best of our ability... Well, we want to be able to say to the best of our ability, thus saith the Lord, right? This is God's word. This is what he is saying to us. And, and this takes time. It takes time and it takes diligence. There's also discipleship and counseling that goes on for your leaders. There's hospitality taking place. We, we try and have at least one elder at, at every prayer meeting And then there's just the general involvement in the ministries of this local body. Because there's all kinds of ministries taking place here at Calvary Bible Church that all four of us take take part in daily. So, to summarize, summarize, we'll, we'll land this plane here. Along with the qualifications for being an elder, which again, I'm sorry we didn't have time to, to go through. Please 
read up on those because that that in itself is kind of daunting. And based on the passages we looked at today, I'm going to close this with two two uh, um, two groupings of responsibilities. Okay, here is first our primary responsibilities as elders towards you, the congregation. This is not exhaustive. This is just summarizing the passages that we looked at today. I'm going to go kind of quick, all right? We are to diligently labor among you. That is, we are to work hard. Uh, I'm not going to give you all the verse references. I got them here in my notes. If you ever want to see them, I'm happy to show you, but, but they're straight out of Scripture. So, diligently labor among you, work hard, have charge over you, and rule well. Voluntarily exercise oversight according to the will of God with eagerness, not lord our authority over you. Teach and preach the word of God to you. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort you with great patience and instruction. Speak that which is fitting for sound doctrine. Refute those who contradict sound doctrine. Hold fast the faithful word. Shepherd you. Care for you. Pray for you. Lead you. Guard and protect you. Always be alert and sober for you. Keep ourselves free from sin. Conduct ourselves so as to be examples to you. And watch over your souls knowing we will give an account to God for how we cared for your soul. Those are the responsibilities of us towards you. Your responsibilities to the elders of the local church is to consider your elders worthy of double honor, knowing they are worthy of their wages. Do not receive an accusation against one of your elders except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Remember your elders and imitate their faith. Obey and submit to your elders that they may have joy and not grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Appreciate your elders and esteem your elders very highly in love. Now, as to how you are to put these into practice, first, you have to be a believer in order to do so. You have to be a Christian. You have to be a sinner saved by grace. How do you know if you are saved by grace? Well, you need to repent of your sins. You need to turn away from those sins and you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary to save you. That he willingly went to the cross in your place taking the punishment that you deserve for your sins against God upon himself. He died in your place. He shed his blood for your sins. He was put into the ground and three days later, though he resurrected from the dead, he conquered death. And in that, we know then that we too can conquer death, that we can have eternal life, that we can live with Christ Jesus forever and ever and ever in his kingdom. And he tells us, Jesus tells us, repent and believe. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. Turn to me, your Savior, Jesus. Put your faith and trust in Him. That's first and foremost what you need to do if you haven't already done so. I pray that today is the day of your salvation. Now, we're not going to ask you to do anything crazy or you can come up front here or raise your hand or anything like that. I'm going to pray here in a minute. and It's just you praying. It's you praying to the Lord and just confessing your sin before him and seeking his forgiveness that you know you have in Jesus Christ. 
And then for the rest of you to put these into practice. We're going to let the Holy Spirit work in your hearts and you can decide how that would play out for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for this morning and for this very clear teaching, your very clear teaching about leadership in the church and and elders, Father, and the responsibilities that we have towards the congregation, the responsibilities the congregation has towards their elders. Lord, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for any here this morning that maybe need to put their trust in Jesus, that they would do so right now, that they would acknowledge before you, Lord, in prayer, just the the fact that they are a sinner who is in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. We pray all of this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.